Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Conspiracy Pilled, your favorite mostly hinged conspiracy podcast. I'm Abby Libby. I'm here with my co-host PJ. What's up, PJ? Oh, not much. How you doing, Abby? I'm pretty good. I hear it's <laughs> going to be kind of, I, I hear our tagline is going to be maybe a lie tonight. Like absolutely. I, no I was going to say, you just, we started the episode off by lying to the audience. I don't know if there's any way to do this episode mostly hinged. It's going to get pretty pretty intense so <laughs> for for people who who maybe didn't watch last week i think we were talking about this last week how we were both looking into the book of enoch it's something that people keep sending to us a lot uh a lot of tiktoks and videos people send us are related to that so we decided we were both going to read it and kind of see what rabbit holes that led us down <laughs> and uh it led me down some pretty interesting rabbit holes about hillary clinton and nephilim dna and the tomb of gilgamesh so we're gonna be talking about all of that stuff tonight but uh yeah i'm excited how you doing abby i'm i'm great this week <laughs> we decided we were gonna go 50 50 i was gonna bring half pj was gonna bring half and midweek he calls me and he's like i have i have the whole show I have something. And, and you're yeah. <laughs> not going to know about it. So I have no idea how crazy this is going to get, but I'm excited. All right. Well, let's just jump right into it then. So uh, as I as I was teasing, uh, we're going to be talking about the Hillary Clinton emails, and you've probably read or seen stuff from them. I'm sure, Abby. Uh, you know, the thing that we were told in the news to, to worry about was <laughs> was it like the the her calling Mexicans taco bowls or something like that. <laughs> Uh, and then breakfast burritos? <laughs> bre no breakfast burritos was uh, Jill Biden. Oh, there's a new one. Bre breakfast burritos was Jill Biden and taco bowls was Hillary Clinton. I'm like 99% sure on this. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, and there was other stupid stuff. But then you and me decided we were going to dig into the Hillary Clinton Podesta emails a little bit. And we covered Pizzagate and Adrenochrome. I had no idea about this email. Uh, that was discovered requesting documents pertaining to the resurrection chamber of Gilgamesh, the location of his body and the location of the buried Nephilim. And I'm not joking. Here is the, the FOIA request that came from uh, who'd this come from 20. Yeah. So a, a FOIA request from America uncensored in 2020 confirmed this was a real request from the state department in 2018. Uh, the request Apparently did not it's supposedly did not come from Hillary Clinton, but from someone named Denetra D. Senegar. But these were found on her her uh, server, you know, um, and this person I've looked into it. Other people looked into it. Nobody can find this person, Denetra D. Senegar. And people are believing that this is actually just another pseudonym for Hillary. I've seen some people put it out there that this is just some random person giving a FOIA request and it happened to be caught in Hillary Clinton's emails. But if you search the name in the virtual reading room, which if you're not familiar with that is the, how you look up FOIA requests and how you read through documents that have been declassified. Uh, if you search the name, you'll find 12,726 results, which does not sound like just some random person who's interested in the Wait, Nephilim. If you search all the things that have been FOIA'd from this person, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. What were you asking? This is all the things that have been FOIA'd forever or these are all the requests made from Denetra D. Senegar that have been FOIA, like that have been declassified FOIA requests. 12,726. So this, person, this person's been actively seeking out anything the government has ever written on the Nephilim. Well, no, no, no. There's only two documents on the Nephilim. I'm talking about if you just search that name. So, like, what I'm saying is the requests are coming from someone named Denetra D. Senegar who doesn't exist. And there's 12,726 requests, which sounds more like it's the head of the secretary of state with a alternative name trying to search for certain information that do she doesn't want her name linked to in a FOIA request. That's that's the conspiracy I'm putting forward. As okay. if no one else is sending 12,726 FOIA requests to the State Department, except for the <laughs> the secretary of state. So she's sending the request to make sure that nobody else can like to, I don't, I, why would Hillary be? I don't know. That's just one of the theories. I have no idea. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong on this. I'm just saying there's a lot of people who believe that it's a pseudonym for Hillary trying to get information that she doesn't have access to. Okay. Under a, under a pseudonym. I don't know how true that is. I'm just saying the, the link to Hillary Clinton is not really the important thing here. It's just kind of the 
catalyst for a much crazier conspiracy that we're going to get into. So what she, but like again, they're requesting the information for, I just want to read this one more time, requesting documents pertaining to the resurrection chamber of Gilgamesh location of his body and the location of the buried Nephilim. Not something you'd probably expect to see in a government document. Uh, and people might not be familiar with what this is referring to, but I'm going to take you back to April of 2003 when a German-led expedition reported that it had discovered what was thought to be the entire city of Uruk. Are you familiar with with this, uh, the city of Uruk or Gilgamesh or anything like that? I'm familiar with Gilgamesh. I read the Epic of Gil- Gilgamesh in college. Okay. We're going to get into all of that. I'm going to give a little bit of the about the discovery, and then I want to dive into Biblical stuff, history, prophecy, all that stuff. It's going to make sense. So it's 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 a meandering road. So stop me if I am at any point not making sense. Uh, so this included the, the the city of Uruk was the city that was built by and led by King Gilgamesh in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And a lot of people have debated on whether he's historically accurate figure or if he's just uh, a fictional character from Samaria. Um, but this also included the last resting place of its famous king uh, and where it would have been surrounded by waters of the Euphrates before the river changed its course. Gilgamesh is described as having been buried under the Euphrates in a tomb that was apparently constructed when the waters of the ancient river parted following his death. The city of Uruk was described by the leader uh, of this expedition as Venice in the desert. So this guy named Jorg uh, Fassbender, our Fassbender, Jorg Fassbinder was talking about how they used uh, basically electromagnetic mapping and imaging to see that there was a city underneath the dried up part of the Euphrates River. And in this, they could see the canals. They could see how advanced this city was. And it was built somewhere around between 2700 and 3000 BC, roughly, uh, is what they believe. And what they described it as is essentially this city was built on the Euphrates. It was a Venice-like city. And the tomb is somehow underneath the where the Euphrates used to run. So what the, what the Epic of Gilgamesh talks about is that when he dies, the river parts. And they actually were able to build a temple, a, a tomb, below the Euphrates. And what they found is there's actually a tomb built below the Euphrates River, where it used to be. It's dried up in that area since. But like that part in and of itself is already kind of got me going like someone actually built a tomb underneath a, a massive river 3000 years ago. And that and that just gets glossed over in this whole thing. OK, I have some questions. OK, I have some questions. There's a lot of questions. So go ahead. Do we know the, the scientific reason why the Euphrates moved its course, changed its course? I don't actually no i didn't i i kind of looked into it a little bit it sounds like some people said that it had shifted some people said it had dried up i i was so inaberrant and so many other things and i'm just going to say this off off the the top of the episode i am still digging into this i still there's so many questions that this has brought up that i want to continue to to go down this rabbit hole and continue to provide uh information because i think there's so much more here so there's certain things, just time limit constraints to where I just didn't get to go down every rabbit hole I wanted to with this, but I'm, I'm incredibly fascinated with this whole story. So I'm going to keep digging. But as far as I could tell, it, it just sounds like it, it dried up in that area or, or some people are saying that the whole Euphrates river is drying up and looks like it might be dried up by 2040, but I don't know right. how much of well, that's that just climate change scare or how much of that is real. That's, I mean, the Bible says it's going to dry right. up. So, Right. Uh, yeah. And did you know that in revelations nine fourteen it says, t- uh, talking about, uh, the Euphrates river drying up, it says telling the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the banks of the great river Euphrates. So the four angels were released who were prepared for this hour, day, month, and year to kill a third of the human race. Uh, and as we will get into Gilgamesh was believed to be two thirds, God, one third human a descendant of the Anunnaki or the Nephilim, essentially angelic DNA (laughs) origins of this supposedly once thought to be not real king who has a tomb described exactly where his epic describes it would be. Okay. 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 So at one point, the the epic of Gilgamesh says that the river parted to allow him to be buried there. Right. And then we found his tomb exactly where it was described in the epic. Yes. 
and which would have been who, underneath a river 3000 years ago. And for those who don't know, the Epic of Gilgamesh predates a lot of the Bible, right? As far as when it was written, it's supposedly the oldest written story. According to some, yes. So whereas right. the Bible for a long time was, was passed on by oral tradition, the Epic of Gilgamesh was put on clay tablets around 2700. Well, 2200. Okay. Yeah. So it describes okay. a king who was around 500 years before that. So it was still passed down by oral tradition, but supposedly as far back as we can date clay tablets, it's the oldest written story. Okay. So did you say that Hillary had mentioned the Nephilim in her emails with Podesta or the link with Hillary is just the link with this? Hillary is that this was found in her email server that was leaked during the WikiLeaks. So the document that that person requested FOIA'd. the FOIA request and the documents. Yeah. Okay. So she had the documents and we think she's the one who FOIA'd them. That's, that's one of the theories. Yes. But at the very least, she had a reason for having them. She. It, it, it was, appears to me that Hillary Clinton was interested in getting not just information on an, an ancient historical site, but again, the resurrection chamber and his body that and the uh, location of the buried Nephilim is actually okay. in the request. Okay. Should we define Nephilim for people who don't we're, know? We're going to, we're going to get to it. Okay. Um, Cause I want to, I want to kind of lay out what it is was found. And then I want to go back into all the Nephilim stuff. So uh, talking about this tomb though, people are talking about a body. Well, for, well, I guess we'll just, we can explain the Nephilim and then I'll go further into it. The Nephilim were when the sons of God in Genesis uh, six mated with, human with with female humans so some people believe different things about that we'll get into it i think it's pretty obvious that it's talking about angels that it made it with humans and created uh essentially giants and things like that but we'll get into the whole thing in a little bit uh but i want to show you what was actually found in this tomb because there's been two videos that have been leaked and it's interesting because they don't they're not the same body that they're filming in these two videos one of the videos has a newspaper put in front of it and both videos are believed to be not fake. So I don't know if they're filming two different graves in this tomb and we can, we can discuss that in a little bit, but let's, let's look at this really quick. So this is some of what they found in the tomb of Gilgamesh. Maybe some clues to why his tomb has been hidden lay within the epic and the immense powers Gilgamesh was said to have possessed. He was the fifth king of Uruk and his power was so mighty. That's supposedly like a mummified body. It does not look mummified. It looks, looks just kind of chilling there, right? Many believe that the stories surrounding him are just myths that were built around his seemingly superhuman strength and endurance. However, serious scholars concluded that the story of Gilgamesh was nothing more than a fairy tale. All right, so that's the first one. And then if you fast forward a little bit, there's this. This is the other one where they show the newspaper proving that it was at least filmed when or after uh, the newspaper's date is in 2003. After a fierce battle in which neither are bested, become friends and embark on adventures together. Well, it's a little blurry at when first, Enkidu but you'll see is it. struck with death, Gilgamesh falls into a deep grief and, recognizing his own mortality through... See if I can fast forward this to... There we go. of ultimate extinction. Casting away all his old vanity and pride, Gilgamesh sets out on a quest to find the meaning of life and, finally, some way of defeating death. In doing so, he becomes the first epic hero in world literature. The grief of Gilgamesh in the face there we of go. death. You, see, you can see it best there. That is supposedly, and I can I have a picture of it here, I think. Or no, I don't. I'll pull it up in a minute. But yeah, I've got, that's supposedly the body uh, found in the tomb. Is right this leaked footage of the tomb of Gilgamesh? Oh, sorry. Regardless of its authenticity, why all the secrecy? Are we as a species not capable? And then you can see the, the newspaper that was put down to show that this was authentic and I'm not finding any like actual archaeologists and scholars and news reporters that are saying this is an obvious hoax because it's not because this is actually people who are in the tomb filming this uh-huh so, <laughs> what's your thoughts I mean they, they, they look like he's it looks like he was just put in front of a like it looks like you're at a wake not in a ancient tomb from 3,000 years ago yeah he, I mean, it looks 
it, it looks too real to be real. It looks too much like it, it looks like it has to be like a makeup person. Right. But, it's but not that would have been like easily debunked like 20 years ago. This ha- this was 20 years ago that this was made. It's crazy that a fine can be made like like this 20 years ago and it doesn't get any media attention. I never even heard of this till people started bringing it to my attention recently. They find one new chamber in the great pyramid and it's like on, on the cover of Nat Geo. Right. Yeah. They do this all the time, but it's funny because in the last 20 years, you still have people debating whether or not Gilgamesh is real, even though they found his tomb where it's said in the epic that his tomb would be. How tall was the body? That's what's interesting to me. The first one, you can kind of see the guy's hand. Let me see if I can go back to this. That's why I think I think there's two bodies here. I mean, the first one you can you can see the internet. I'm gonna just mute and this really quick so we can talk over it. This is the first one that they showed. Is there something over his eyes? Yeah, it looks like there has to be dimes or something, right? And then this is the other body. But the first one, I don't think is it. It, it doesn't look that big. Because I'm trying to see if I can find this, find the right spot. There's a guy's hand that goes over top of the, it's probably right in here. There's a guy's hand that goes over top and this one doesn't look big, but according to reports of people who were there, the other body, the second body in the video was massive. He was a giant. They don't say how big. So you can see his hand there for a minute, which makes me think this is not a a super massive human. This first one, see his hand right there, but the small, yeah, but the smaller guy is who they're saying is Gilgamesh or are they saying the giants Gilgamesh? They're saying the giant is Gilgamesh. I've heard both, but like the one that the one that most people are talking about when they show the video and they're talking about this is the second body. That's the one that the people who claim to have been there say that that one is Gilgamesh. They, I haven't heard anything about what this first body is. Some people say it's Gilgamesh. There's two videos. Neither one of them's like fully debunked, but it, I don't know if they were they both in the tomb. Like that's what I'm trying to figure out. Were they just both in the tomb? And one of them is maybe his friend Enkidu is like, is he, was he a real person too? I know that sounds like a stupid name, but that's actually in the epic. Yeah, we'll get to it, it. Wow. So it, is it possible that that's his like feral friend yeah. and the other body, the giant that supposedly Nephilim is anyway, we'll get into it. So this all happened. Uh, like I said, in April of 2003, something else happened. And by the way, this is in Iraq. If I didn't mention it earlier, uh, something else happened in Iraq in early 2003. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I, I think remember. America invaded Iraq for weapons of mass destruction in 2003. So what I've read on this really quickly to make sure I get this timeline straight is that a lot of the articles I read about the tomb of Gilgamesh is that I is that we invaded Iraq a month after Fassbender said that the tomb of Gilgamesh was there, which is not entirely true because the the article t- uh, in the BBC came out in April and we invaded Iraq in March. So it was actually a month before, but I want to posit this really quick. The fact that the article went out in April does not mean that they had found this in April it means they had found this before. And then were finally ready to report to the mainstream media about their findings that they had looked into. Wait, so there's a month difference between when the article comes out and when we invaded we, we supposedly invaded a few weeks before the article came out. And if you read into it, Fassbender at this point is saying, I can't go because the war just broke out. We found this. We want to go in and look, but we can't go because America just invaded Iraq. So we're going to have to wait till next year. And then he never went because the American troops seized the tomb of Gilgamesh. So this was what year again? <clears throat> 2003. 2003. So well after 9-11, nothing to do with Desert Storm. This was when this was when we invaded because of the weapons of mass destruction, supposedly. Right, because Afghanistan was responsible for 9-11, supposedly. Supposedly, yes. And then we just made up a reason to go in Iraq, too. Right, a year after we went into Afghanistan. A little over a year, year and a half. Within maybe. two weeks of this article coming out. Well, no, the article came out after we invaded. But what I'm saying well, is yeah, that but within two weeks, right? Yes. Yes. Within two, two weeks. weeks yeah. Yeah. So what I'm saying is this guy hadn't just discovered it in April. He had plans to go in 
And then yeah. he had to release his findings to the BBC because he couldn't go in because of the war. Right. So this guy right. had found this before and the American government had to have known. Uh, and not only did they go in to secure the tomb of Gilgamesh, but they went in for other reasons, uh, as you'll see in this video. Oh, sorry. When the Iraqi regime fell in April 2003, the Iraqi museum in Baghdad and museums in other provinces such as Mosul, Basra and Babel were exposed to theft for two consecutive days. The theft was carried out by local and international networks as well as Iraqi and Arab agents. It is estimated that 170,000 artifacts were stolen, 15,000 of which have no registration records. The most important of these artifacts are the Sumerian cuneiforms, which represents the philosophy of life and death. When the Iraqi regime fell in April 2000... So did you catch that? Our troops took the cuneiforms, talking about life and death? They went in and took 17,000 tablet or artifacts from the Iraqi museum and then they returned most of them just not the ones that had to do with the resurrections and life and death and the cuneiform tablets it might have had to do with the resurrection chamber that is as our government is calling it uh that they found Gilgamesh in nice 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 um did did operation desert storm have anything to do with this i, mean, I didn't I was- have enough time to really dig into operation desert storm to see if they were looking for the tomb of gilgamesh then as well or other ancient sites uh huh. but it wouldn't surprise me it's something i want to continue to look into i just didn't have the time to get into that okay, um okay but then with all of this there was something that struck me because i started seeing stuff about how gilgamesh and nimrod might be the same person And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But the first thing that popped up when I searched Gilgamesh and Nimrod, I don't know how I typed it in to get this, was a prophecy from October 1st of 2002. So this is six months before we're told that they found the tomb of Gilgamesh. And I'll just show you a little bit of this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this this prophetic website posts this. They said the return of Nimrod question mark. With the continuing tensions over Iraq apparently coming to a heed, many questions arise concerning a prophetic future uh, for this region, uh, which on one hand had such deep roots as the cradle of civilization and yet also is destiny in the Bible's final scenario. There may be more to the relevance. There may be far more relevance relevance to this region than is commonly recognized in most books and articles on the end time prophecy, all of which are subject to limitations imposed by the presumptions we bring to a topic. And it may be essential to step back from time to time and reestablish a fresh perspective. The only certain barrier to truth is the presumption that you already have it. They're literally talking about how, hey, you know what? Is Nimrod going to return? Because maybe something's happening in Iraq six months before they found the tomb of Gilgamesh, a.k.a. Nimrod in Iraq. (laughs) And it's talking about is is Babylon and we're going to get into this is Babylon, which was formerly Iraq, Iraq, which was formerly Babylon, really the Babylon they're talking about in the end time prophecies. Is it not just there's going to be a new Babylon and maybe it's America or New York or Hollywood, but there might be an actual resurgence of the original historical Babylon in Iraq. So, okay. okay. Go ahead. Who is Nimrod for people who don't know? Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to get, I think maybe I should have put my notes in a different order because I will talk about Nimrod, Uh, but I want to, that's what I was going to next, but I want to go, I want to go back to, to explain this who is Nimrod is, problem. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I'm mean, I'm teasing stuff and then not not giving the answers right away. But I'm trying to like build a story of of who Nimrod is. So uh, I want to start with Genesis because this is where you find Nimrod. You find Nimrod in Genesis. But I want to start back before Nimrod with his ancestor Enoch, and then I want to talk about Nimrod and the flood and the Tower of Babel because those are the important events that happen in Genesis that all lead up to this whole thing of the tomb of Gilgamesh, right? Okay. So in Genesis six, four, this is where the Neph- this it says the Nephilim were in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in uh, unto the daughters of men and they bore children to them, the same were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So in this, it said, you know, if you don't know who the Nephilim are, it says the sons of God came down to the earth and impregnated these women and there's two interpretations of this, and I think one of them is very obviously true. But the first interpretation, people that don't want to believe in the angelic interpretation will call this, uh, are these the sons of Seth? And in the Bible, it talks about the sons of Seth, but it always calls them God's sons in that exact order. Never the sons of God. On the other hand, 
the other interpretation, which is what Peter believed, which is what Jude believed, which is apparently what Paul believed, which is what almost the entire early church believed, is that these were angels or demons. And Job, the only time you see the sons of God used in the Bible outside of this is in Job, where he's talking about angels. So it seems pretty clear to me that the sons of God that came down and slept with the human women and had these human angelic demon, demonic hybrids, which became these giants, the Nephilim, like that's what it is. Um, and some people get mad at this because they'll say angels are spiritual beings only. This is proven in Bible in Hebrews 1.14, which I don't find convincing because this is what it says in Hebrews 1.14. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's all it says. That's the only verse that I've seen anybody point to as an angels are only ever always only spiritual and can never manifest physically. Right. Yet in Acts 12, 17, it says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. So it's talking about an angel actually physically affecting Peter. Uh, and then first, if you want to go to the old Testament first Kings 19, five, it says, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. There's other examples, but those are two prominent examples of an angel reaching out and physically touching a human being, which I'm told by people who really want to believe the Seth, the sons of Seth interpretation of the Nephilim, that that is impossible. So I think I I think it's a little bit of a weak argument. Yeah. It, It seems like in mythology, it's pretty well understood, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, especially that the gods come down and have children with humans right greeks call them demigods um they're known as nephilim in this context it seems to be something that's pretty well known i think we we all lost a lot of knowledge with the enlightenment when we started to say well everything has a scientific explanation and then some of these interpretations (laughs) fill a lot of vogue and we started reading the bible in a different way exactly but up until then people seem to pretty readily accept this nephilim We've written all the spirituality out of religion for hundreds of years. Yes. And we have a very different understanding of the Bible than the people who wrote it and the people who, who pieced it together. So, uh, yeah. And as, as, as Jess says, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to sleep with the angels that rescued Lot. And also Jude mentions this and says that it is, he references it as to the Nephilim in, in Jude. So he's, he's believing the interpretation of the book of Enoch, which is where you get the full interpretation of this is this, this actually really was angels coming down and explains the whole story. Do you want to give your, your kind of take your first take on the book of Enoch and what, what your thoughts are on it? Yeah. So the book of Enoch predates a lot of the new Testament. It was uh, really, really popular in the second temple period um, of Judaism. And if not, understood as scripture, at least understood as something that was historical and useful. <clears throat> and it goes into this whole story in more depth of the Nephilim, the angels coming down, what they did, um, how they taught humans all the secret knowledge, how they had children with humans, how they birthed the giants, all the damage that they did leading up to the flood. And that being a huge reason for the flood is how much chaos they wreaked. And um, my, my feeling on Enoch is that it's, it's important for our understanding. It's important for the backdrop of backdrop of scripture. I don't think it is or should be canon. I think it's correct that almost no church accepts it as canon. The Ethiopian Orthodox church and the Coptic church both accept it as canon and that's it. Yeah, but I still think it's prophetic. I, I heard I heard it called biblically endorsed extra biblical text. I under I, I can see the arguments for it not being canon. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that means it's heresy, and I don't think that means it's false either. So again, you have James, Jude, a lot of people referencing it. Jude calling him a prophet uh, as yeah. well, calling Enoch a prophet. Uh, a lot of early church fathers argued for it, and they came to the conclusion that if God really wanted it in the Bible. That every that more of the church early church leaders would agree with them. So even though they held on to this being prophetic, this being uh, God inspired, they agreed with maybe it should not be in the Bible. So part of me feels like maybe maybe that's because we didn't we weren't supposed to know about this. You know what I mean? For there's a long even time, a verse, like it was it was not something that needed to be there at the time. Yeah, there's even a verse in Enoch that kind of suggests 
this is a prophecy that's written for people of a certain time. Right. I think it's interesting that it was really popular during the second temple period, which kind of felt like the end of the world for the Jewish the first people. coming of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So would it make and sense then, that it would become popular again before the second coming of Right. <laughs> that's my take on it. I don't know. Some people might be mad at me, but I feel like that's exactly it. It's written for people of a certain time. And that's why for 2000 years, we weren't paying attention to it. Maybe we, maybe we should be again. I don't know. And now it's everywhere. Yes. Right. Enoch was the father of Methuselah. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on it. Um, also, as you said, in Enoch, this is where many people believe that it wasn't sin alone that corrupted uh, all of people. And in Enoch, it talks about corrupting the flesh of people, right? So what the, what a lot of people believe this means is that it wasn't just that everybody was sinless except for Noah. It's that everybody was literally infected with Nephilim DNA except for Noah's family. Um, mm-hmm. And which which raises a lot of questions. And we're going to be talking about a guy named Rob Skiba, which is where I get a lot of this from. So you can... We'll we'll get into him a little bit more, but I think he's got some pretty interesting takes on this stuff. Uh, there's a certain a certain picture I want to find that he shared. Let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, where he talks about, sorry, I messed something up. There we go. Uh, where he talks about how that it's possible that Ham's wife was part like if you're talking about chromosomes, right? So if you had if you had anybody that was fully Nephilim allowed onto the ark, that you would never be able to get rid of of Nephilim in everybody's blood, right? So you've got in this possibility, you've got one person that's got XX chromosomes, right? Well, female, and then you've got XY chromosomes that are Nephilim. You would get a Nephilim female and a Nephilim male every time, at least half. But if you had all of the males on Noah's Ark completely clean, all of Noah's family line completely clean of Nephilim DNA, but one person like, like Ham's wife had two X chromosomes and one of them was human and one of them was Nephilim that you would still get completely human people and you would get people who have some Nephilim DNA, but you would never get full Nephilim. And that was the goal that he believes that God was trying to, to get rid of full Nephilim DNA from the earth through the, through the flood. Again, that's just, just one of the theories I'm putting out there. I'm not saying that that's what I think, but I think it's important for the stuff that we're going to be talking about. So does that make sense? Why? What is, what is the benefit to the theory of having Ham's wife have that DNA. Well, because the only other interpretation of the book of Genesis or of the Bible is that after God flooded the earth, that the Nephilim still returned because this is something that's indisputable in the Bible, that the Nephilim did return, that giants returned, that the Canaanites and things like that had yep. Nephilim DNA. This is talked about later in the Bible. This is funny to me is so many people, you know, not just talking about like writing spirituality out of the Bible, but we've written so much of the mythology out of the Bible that we pretend it's not even in there. At, like at all, like we, we want to forget that giants are talked about as real things as if David didn't literally slay a giant and that right. there aren't other references to giants in the Bible. There aren't other references to mythical creatures and, and, and the Nephilim, like people will just literally write out the Nephilim's in Genesis. People will think it's all Enoch and it's not, it's right there in Genesis. Yeah. Even with the story of David and Goliath, the Bible's like, yeah, Goliath had a bunch of brothers and he was the shortest one. Right. He was like the runt of the litter. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. I love that part where it's like, yeah, you think Goliath was big. I mean, he came from a family of giants. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of his interpretation. I think, so again, essentially what he's trying to say is there's only two ways to look at this, either that someone on the ark had Nephilim DNA or, or the Nephilim came back and started mating with, with human women again, directly after the flood. Because as you see uh, in, uh, I think it's image two, we know that, that Ham fathered the Canaanite giants this is actually said, directly in the Bible. Um, And if you look at this line here and you can uh, trace where giants show up later in the Bible, uh, if you Noah has three sons, Japheth, Ham and Shem and Japheth is where you get the, um, uh, why am I blank on this? The, wow. Why can't I think of it? When you're not Jewish, you're Gentiles. Thank you. Uh, Japheth had the Gentile line. He had some giants, so he would have had some like, Nephilim and human DNA in his line. You have Ham who had tons of giants in his, in his line, including all the Canaanites and Amorites, which were many giants in the Mystrium, uh, which was where Philistine comes from, which is where you get uh, Goliath, uh, his son put, we don't have any evidence of giants. And then with Cush is where you get Nimrod, who we're going to be talking about a little bit. And then Shem would be the Semitic line. Uh, and they are completely clean of Nephilim DNA. And it, go ahead. 
with lots of laws about not intermarrying with other peoples. Right, which is exactly what I was going to get into next because this is the other interesting thing is that there is there is laws to war in the Old Testament with how the Jews are supposed to conduct war and how they're supposed to do things. But whenever they come up against the Canaanites or the other ites in that bloodline, they're told to kill them man, woman, child, and animal. Yeah. And I find the animal part even more interesting because if you're talking about trying to rid Nephilim DNA, which is the case that that Skiba is making, you'd have to believe that the Nephilim also, or the angels, demons also mated with animals. With animals. And that's which how we consistent. got things like cryptids. Yeah. Cryptids. It's also consistent with Greek mythology exactly. where you get things like centaurs and I mean, it, it can explain everything. Mermaids. Everything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So this, I, I don't think his interpretations are that far off. There's things I disagree with him on, but I find his, his takes on all this very, very interesting. So uh, I want to move on to the Tower of Babel next because I, we keep we keep talking about Nimrod. And we need to get to who Nimrod is. So uh, the Tower of Babel is. Let me see. I think I have it here where I wanted to read. It, it's very short in in Genesis. It's Genesis chapter eleven, uh, one through eight nine, uh, and it says, "Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, 'Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly.'" They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come and let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people are sorry, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible to them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. They will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused their language of the whole world from there. The Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So that is what it says about the tower of Babel and Nimrod is who was in charge of building the tower. And he's described as a great hunter and he's also described as a mighty man. And if you go back to the uh, Septuagint interpretation that word mighty is actually literally interpreted as giant three times. And if you take the other interpretation of mighty, it's the same mighty that's used for David's mighty men, which is a supernatural form of mighty, something extra human. So no matter what way you translate the text on Nimrod, it seems to be suggesting that he is superhuman. I don't know. What's and your thoughts? And He's the inspiration behind Orion, right? The constellation Orion, the hunter. Well, that's what I wanted to get into because here's where it gets really interesting. It, it's, it talks about separating all of their languages and spreading all over the earth. And this is where I think we start to see Nimrod as the main character in stories all over the world. Because I think what happened is you have people spreading out, still talking about what they saw with the flood. We have a flood narrative all over the world. We've got... Uh, a Nimrod-like narrative all over the world. They have different languages. And actually, if you look at <coughs> Uruk, which is the town that was built by Gilgamesh, uh, it it's actually pronounced, actually in my Bible, it even has it. It's called it's called Uruk in my Bible because the other Aramaic, Aramaic translation is Eric. And this is the second city that was to be rebuilt by Nimrod in the Bible. Uh, he also built uh, Akkad. So some people also think that he is Sargon of Akkad. If you know that story, um, other people that people think that Nimrod could be would be Adonis, uh, Dionysus, Bacchus, Mithra, Orion, Apollo, Osiris. So there's all these stories that have this similar features to them. And it, it's really strongest with with Nimrod and Gilgamesh. But I want to get into that in a second, but really, really, really quick, because I have this on my notes. I want to tell you guys to take a second and go get some coffee because you're going to need it for the second half of this because it's going to get even more unhinged. And the best coffee that you guys can get is North Arrow Coffee from NorthArrowCoffee.co. And you guys can use code PJ10 for 10% off, or you can use code Abby10 if you're a trader. Uh, and get some really great coffee. It's single origin, it's roast to order, and 15% of every order goes to saving babies. So definitely check that out because you're going to need it. So uh, <laughs> I like how you just keep like a giant bag there. Yeah, I I'm always running it up and down the stairs. I'm like, 
oh man, I need my coffee in the morning. And then, oh man, I need it for my show. Right. Yeah. Real grass coffee. I like that. <laughs> North arrow coffee is more hinged than this podcast. That's true. That's, a fact. That's true. Yeah. That's a fact. All right. So let me see. Um, I want to talk about the Epic of Gilgamesh a little bit to, to kind of cement my theory on, on Nimrod being Gilgamesh, because the more I've done this research, the more I'm like, it's not even, it doesn't even seem like it's a debate that Nimrod actually literally is Gilgamesh because of all the translations just seem to be right there. The time period seems to be right there. Um, but in the Epic of Gilgamesh, this is where scholars debated for a long time, if this was just fiction or if this was a fictional story about a real King. And I think with finding the tomb that kind of, You'd think that would have solved it, but people are still debating this, apparently. Uh, They've also found tablets with his name on it, claiming he was a king from before the Epic of Gilgamesh. So there's there's actually tons of evidence that he was a real king of of Uruk. Uh, He was also known as a great warrior and a builder. And in the Epic of Gilgamesh, he fights with this beast man named Enkidu. And this, this ends in a draw. They become BFFs, and they start slaying monsters together. But then Gilgamesh loses uh, Enkidu and he wants to find the secret to eternal life. So at this point in the story, he goes to the mountaintop of Mashu. And do you know that there's another name for this mountaintop? Of course there is. It's, <laughs> it's Mount Ararat, which are you familiar with, with that? Yep. That's the mountain where the, that's the mountain where Noah's Ark Noah's came, Ark came to rest. Right. And he visits this guy named Utna Pishtim. And he's even called in Sumerian lore as the Sumerian version of Noah. And this is where this is where Gilgamesh gets his story about the flood. He's told that the earth flooded and that uh, they took his family and two of every animal. And then they started sending birds out to try to find dry land. The entire story of Noah's Ark. So I've heard for a long time, I've heard that Noah's Ark was just a bastardization ripoff of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right. Which... Which you the only what what I find funny about this interpretation is that means that you have to believe that the flood absolutely didn't happen because that's the only reason you would think, oh, they had to steal the story from someone because it couldn't be that they that it, that it actually happened. It doesn't matter that all the all the people all over the whole world have a flood narrative. So I mean, China has a flood. China's flood narrative is so entrenched that it is baked into their their um what do they call their alphabet? Like the way that their characters are, are right. drawn. I can't think the, of the name off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah. The flood narrative is inside <laughs> it. Dr. Bob's nightmare says Enkidu is Bigfoot. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on Enkidu. Uh, he's also believed that it's also believed by some that the story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu is the same as Apollo and Dionysus. So anyway, we'll get into that in a little bit, but where was I going with this? So, so yeah, Nimrod is Gilgamesh. Both they're both represented as mighty kings, hunters, builders. Um, so this is where we get into to some of the stuff that. Well, I want to get your thoughts on this before I move on because I got some other crazier stuff to get to. But do you think that's a plausible theory about Nimrod? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that there's enough links. I mean, how how many how many guys like that are there? Yeah, and the, the, I feel like this actually just explains so much. If you go if you go back to the Tower of Babel and you look, you see that you've got these figures that have the same things. Like we've we've heard this as kind of a proof against Jesus in some ways, where they're like, oh well, you've got Osiris who is kind of a resurrecting figure, and he had a kind of we'll, we'll get into Osiris in a little bit, uh, and you've got. Gilgamesh and you've got Apollo and you've got all these people that seem to represent the same story and are different, you know, stories from the Bible. It seems like they're the same story. And I've always thought that there must be some common origin. The, the, the tower of Babel just seems to make sense of that. If everybody had the same stories and they were split and spread out over the earth with different languages, would those stories not come through and with variations, with different words for them that seem to be translated the same. And also if these other cultures are serving demonic gods, would their stories not be twisted into another way? Yeah. I mean, my general rule of thumb has been if, if different language groups are with wildly different locations, have the same story, it's probably true. Right. Yeah. And that's why I don't think like Greek mythology is even false in a sense, because, you know, you've got stuff like uh, all these, all these uh, half man, half bull creatures. Right. Right. And then on top of that, um, 
you've got the clash of the Titans. And if you look back and I, again, this is going to Enoch. If, if you believe it, there's this whole war between the Nephilim for 500 years. And if you read Enoch's account of the Nephilim war that took place for 500 years, it's the same as the clash of the Titans, right? It's almost the exact same with names changed. So you got a lot of this going on. I, I feel like this explains a lot of it. Um, but I want to talk about Rob Skiba a, a little bit. So this is this is the guy where I got a lot of this information from. He's got you. You probably saw it in the videos. Those came from his series. He was a guy who preached about Satan and the Nephilim and how their goal was to alter DNA. And he was very outspoken about the jab and then died from COVID, which some people speculate <laughs> They were trying to, to maybe shut this guy up because he believed that this mRNA technology was another sign of the end times. That essentially using this to alter DNA was always the goal. It was the goal of the Nephilim, it was the goal of Satan, and that now that we're altering people's DNA and finding these tombs, that maybe we're going to start seeing these signs of revelation coming about with, with the massive deaths and stuff as we read about the Euphrates River drying up and a third of the world dying. So that was kind of his whole thing. But one of the, one of the things that he talked about uh, that I find really interesting is we go back to that prophecy about Nimrod and the end times that came from 2002, six months before they uncovered the tomb of Gilgamesh, AKA Nimrod's tomb. Uh, there's, there's this prophecy that he talks about in revelations, the beast with seven heads. Are you familiar with that? The beast yes. rises out of the ocean has seven heads. And I want to kind of tell you how he breaks down because I want to play a clip of his video, but if I played the whole thing, it's like really long. So I'm just going to summarize it and then play a clip of it. Uh, so you've got in this, we're referencing revelation 13, three and four and revelation 17, eight through 11. Uh, where it talks about the the heads, the seven heads of this great dragon had each had a blasphemous name. And that's in Revelation 13, three through four. And if you go to 17, uh, eight through 11, it talks about how five of these heads have fallen. One is, and one is yet to come. So whenever I read about revelation, I hear people say, well, revelation, the antichrist, that's just Nero. And it's all done and over with. John was just writing about Nero at, at, at the time. Huh. This interpretation Includes Nero, but in a different way. So he said he, in his in his version, the five fallen heads, five dead antichrists, right? Because there's many antichrists, but there's one beast, uh, the the lead, what we would know as the antichrist, right? Right. So in this, he talks about the five fallen in chronological order, and he gives explanations as to why. Uh, basically, people who wanted to who who called themselves God of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who raised themselves up as if they were a human uh, human god. Uh, the first one, the first one is Nimrod being the oldest. The next one is Pharaoh. After that, you've got Sennacherib, the King of Tyre and Alexander the Great. And then it says, so those are the five heads that have fallen. And then the one that is because John of Patmos wrote this while Nero was, was reigning is Nero, the one who is now. And in his belief, the one who is yet to come was Hitler. Uh, and we don't know how Nimrod died, which is going to go into the last part because it talks about, uh, the, the one head was smote and then it resurrected, right? Right. <laughs> yes. But we don't know how, we don't know how Nimrod died, but you know what we do know about him? He has a resurrection chamber, which I find really, really interesting that our own government is calling this resurrection chamber. They're stealing cuneiform tablets to try to figure out how this resurrection chamber works. And he's one of them. He's one of the possibilities. So it, it, according to Skiba, I'm not even saying that I believe all this, but that's that's the thing I'm setting up for you. So I want to watch this video clip really quick. Okay. Pharaoh of Egypt, at the time of Exodus, he did not have a mortal head wound. Um, Sennacherib, no. King of Tyre, no. Antiochus Epiphanes, no. Alexander the Great, no. Domitian, no. Nero, possibly. It is said that he stabbed himself in the throat. And by the Hebraic understanding, that may be considered part of the head. Okay, let's give it the benefit of the, of the doubt. And according to the historical official, official historical narrative, Hitler supposedly shot himself in the head. Although recent forensic evidence disputes that, they found that that skull was actually a female skull, um, and there's no real evidence at all that showed that Hitler killed himself. In fact, there's a lot more uh, evidence that suggests he probably got away, made his, made his way to Argentina or someplace uh, like that. So, but for the sake of argument, let's just say we got three candidates right there. Well, as we mentioned already, uh, one of the titles used for the Antichrist throughout the Old Testament is the Assyrian. Which one fits that title? Only one. Nimrod. So by process of elimination, we've landed on Nimrod. Pharaoh of... So 
I find this interesting because you and me have had some conversations lately. We've talked about the Antichrist and you brought up to me that what if, well, well, go ahead. I'll let you explain what you were telling me. So like a lot of people, I grew up with the Left Behind series, right. which assumes that the Antichrist will be human and then possessed by Lucifer. But I have been wondering for a while now why we assume that. Why would we assume the Antichrist is going to be human? Right. Yeah. And, and, and also interesting, this would, yeah. Anyway, so like his, his, his thought is that it is Nimrod. And I want to talk about the possibility of, of Nimrod as the Antichrist, because this actually comes up in that 2002 prophecy that I was talking about as well, which I find really interesting considering that they predicted a rise of Nimrod in, in Iraq six months before it happened. Um, in, if, if you're looking for someone who's, who's claiming to be Christ, but a diverted a subverted version of him. You would say that Christ in theology, you would say Christ is fully God and fully man. Right. But if you're talking like DNA wise, as some people want to just like break it down, you would say that he's the the son of, of God and the son of Mary. Right. So you would maybe say half, half human, half God. Right. Even though that's not really what we believe about him. We believe he's fully God and fully man. Gilgamesh is talked about as two thirds God and two thirds statistically is six, 66.6% God, which I find very interesting. And the other part of him, the human half is 33.3%, 33 being a very popular number in the occult. And guess who else is popular in the occult? Nimrod. The legend of Nimrod is a yeah. big thing to Freemasons because he was a builder. He was the original builder. They say, they say Solomon was the original builder, but then many Freemasons, and probably if you get deeper into it, they will tell you that Nimrod is the actual original builder. They kind of, it's everything with Freemasonry is they want to church it up and make it seem nice to their like lower level entry. So they say King Solomon, because that sounds like a nice Christian answer instead of the, the villain of the old Testament Nimrod. But I, I think from what I've, what I've looked into, what I've seen read from Freemasonry, Nimrod is really who they're believing is their, who they're serving, not Solomon. Wow. Right. Uh, you've also got Osiris, which is another person that people believe is based on Nimrod, the stories of Osiris. He was known as the king of king and lord of lords, and his symbol was the cross with a loop, a loop representing resurrection. So there you can see the cross, the loop that was the symbol of Osiris. Uh, and then let me see. Uh, you've also got Apollo, which is another person they believe is based on Nimrod, who is known as the son of God, a.k.a. Zeus. Uh, and then one more other interesting thing is, and I know we've talked about this before with our CERN thing, and I want to talk about the CERN thing again here in a second, is we brought up Revelation 9-11, which is interesting to me considering 9-11 seemed to be the catalyst to get us into Iraq to uncover the tomb of Nimrod. Uh, but in Revelation 9-11, it says, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is the Hebrew tongue Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. So if Apollo is Nimrod, I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So is he imprisoned under CERN, as we have posited in the past, or is he buried? See, and that's what's interesting is that was the question I called you with this morning. So I rewatched some of the stuff we talked about on CERN, some of the prophecy on CERN or, or the, the Rev, book of Revelation. It says that CERN essentially where, oh gosh, I'm going to forget his name, the the prophet who was killed in in Davos, Switzerland, or not Davos, um, Switzerland, wherever CERN is at. I'm sorry, I don't remember. Okay, it doesn't matter. The prophet who was killed in, in Switzerland, who was sacrificed to Apollo and burnt alive in a, in a boiling pot. It says that where he died is where Satan dwells. Okay. Which is also where they had the temple of Apollo or the Apollo the Polyacum, which is what yeah. CERN is built on top of. So is that Satan's holding cell and the tomb of Gilgamesh the Antichrist's holding cell? The resurrection chamber. So you would you're saying Nimrod and Apollo are not the same person that they've been linked in mythology, but they're not the same. I don't know. That's the question I'm asking. I don't know. What if his body's because in one some place people also think either? some people also think that he's not Apollo. He's uh, Dionysus. The Dionysus right. fits him better than Apollo. 
if there was a story of Apollo and Dionysus, it makes sense that they would be linked as friends, as as related beings, but not. Yeah. So instead of instead of Nimrod being Apollo and Enkidu or whatever you want to call him being Dionysus, what if Dionysus is? Because that's another name that keeps coming up. People go back and forth on whether Nimrod is reflected in Apollo or Dionysus. So. Now, isn't Dionysus like the the wine god, the party god? I I didn't have enough time to delve into the Greek mythology again today. I was mostly looking into the Sumerian uh, texts and the Gilgamesh stuff in Iraq and uh, Assyrian lore. So I, I just haven't, like I said, there's, this is just for me. And I know I'm not, I'm not really positing anything like concrete. I'm, it's really just one where there's so much interesting stuff here. It, I can't get past the fact that our own government is calling it the resurrection chamber in the Nephilim DNA. And the fact that like, obviously Nimrod is the same character as Gilgamesh, that this tomb was discovered 20 years ago and nobody freaking knows about or talks about this. The, the, the United States government took ownership of this tomb, stole a bunch of cuneiform tablets around resurrection. Like all this stuff is so interesting to me. So I, I, I really in this episode, if it's a little disjointed and I'm asking more questions than I'm answering, that's on purpose. I really do just want to come here and present the things and ask the questions because I don't know what I make of all of this, but it's very interesting stuff. Uh, uh, Jess says he is the wine god. I guess... Is. Go ahead. Okay. In Greek mythology... They're both sons of Zeus and they almost seem to be compliments of each other. It's almost like they could be the same person or they could be different people, but they're like two sides of the same coin. Um, one is more of the order and one is more of the chaos. So the Apollo, well, here's, here's what I, my thought was with the Apollyacum and CERN, right? Is that it says this is where Satan dwells. It doesn't say this is where the antichrist dwells. So it says that he was sacrificed on top of the temple of Apollo and Satan dwells underneath. Does that mean that it's saying that Satan is Apollo or is it saying that the antichrist Nimrod is Apollo? If you're taking that interpretation, could it be that the, that, Oh, you know, that's, I guess what I'm saying. We assumed that if Satan dwells there and Apollo's temples there, then Satan and Apollo are the same. Right. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's not true. Okay. That Apollo is Nimrod is Gilgamesh is, Osiris. And what's else is interesting here, and we're going to move over to rumble in a little bit to, to really ask you guys some questions and get your thoughts. I've kind of not been reading the chat a ton tonight. Like I normally do because I just have so many thoughts and I, I really wanted to get it all out so I could hear your guys's. So please, if you haven't uh, come over to rumble, I'm going to drop the link in the chat for you guys really quick. And if you're listening to this later, uh, don't forget to come to rumble or go over to local uh, conspiracy If you want to listen to the full thing with the rumble section later. Um, but I really just want to get your guys' opinions on this. Uh, I, I had one other thing that I wanted to get to uh, besides the Apollo uh, Nimrod connection. And that is this idea that, that Rob Skiba also brings up. And we kind of tease this at the beginning. We're constantly, again, this goes back to the left behind stuff. This goes back to like the way the modern Christian church has been raised where it's like, well, Babylon doesn't exist, right? So Babylon in the future couldn't possibly be Babylon in Iraq, it has to be some new, uh, morally bankrupt, powerful country, AKA America. That is pretty much what a lot of people have said my entire lifetime is that America is the new Babylon. But what if Babylon is the new Babylon? What if, what if the original, what if the first antichrist, because there's many antichrists, what if the first antichrist Nimrod is the antichrist and the first Babylon is the Babylon of revelation is kind of the question. And his book is called the first will be last. So it's talking about that kind of like bookended idea of the first person to rise up and become an antichrist will be the antichrist. The end times, the first Babylon that was built by the antichrist or Nimrod will also be the Babylon in the end times will be resurrected. Funnily enough, do you know who's obsessed with the idea of resurrecting the old Mesopotamian Babylon was Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Yeah. I find that very interesting. He was really obsessed with the Epic of Gilgamesh. He was really obsessed with moving Iraq away from the Sunni Shia war into what if we were all Babylonians again, instead of Iraqis, instead of Muslims, what if we were Babylonians again? Um, but anyway, going on to this idea, uh, Orion and the, uh, there's okay. Sorry. Let me just play this video and then I've got a few things I want to get to of why I think we could actually see 
Iraq raising back up in a way that we didn't expect. Again, as that 2002 prophecy that I read talks about, is Iraq the Babylon of the end times? Is if we just written it off because it's this third world mud hut country and it can never rise up to prominence again? Uh, here's here's another video from Rob Skiba, real quick. Oh. December 21st, 2010, I looked up and I saw a decapitated blood red head, looked like, floating over the shoulders of Orion at 2.22 in the morning. Oh, by the way, 2.22 in the morning Central Standard Time is 3.22 in the morning Eastern Standard Time. 3.22 is the coveted number of the Skull and Bone Society, of which the whole Bush family has been strongly associated with, as was Gary. Two Illuminists, 3.22. What's that? A skull? A decapitated head on top of a pile of bones? 322, what was happening in Iraq at that very moment? Iraq had just announced the foundation of its newly formed government. And the entire planet, you could look this up for yourself, shook. The, the seismographic monitors that check earthquake activity around the world, every one of them went into the black that night. What's going on? I don't know. December 20. So he's, go ahead. What's your thoughts? I want to take a moment to mention Enoch talks about Enoch is known to be one of the roots of astrology. And it, it talks about how when the angels came down, one of the things that they taught was how to read the stars. And it talks a lot about the stars and how they're supposed to move. And then their rebellion when they move, when they're where they're not supposed to go. And we, we know that people who are really, really into astrology have been trying to tell the future by the stars for a long time. And the Bible even talks about it working where you have the magi who see a star and they're like this means that the messiah has been born this means that god has been born and they knew that because they had been following certain rules and certain understandings in their own religion for a long time their religion pointed them to our messiah and that's why they traveled so far to go meet baby jesus is because they saw that star so all of this star stuff with orion and this blood moon, all of this kind of has its roots in Enoch. Right. And also all you mentioned Orion being Nimrod as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, I got to say, though, astrology thing, just to get off on a quick tangent here, I feel like the astrology thing is kind of similar to the idea of mediums, where it's mm -hmm. like, I think the modern Christian idea is that there's no such thing, even though we've seen in the Old Testament that uh, Saul went to a medium and raised the the ghost of of um, Samuel. It's not that it's not real. It's that we're not supposed to mess with these things. So, like, I find it interesting. I feel like astrology and you know all of the spiritual stuff. Uh, it, it's bothered me for a long time that I, I said this earlier that we've baked spirituality out of Christianity for a long time, uh, and I think that makes us. I think that makes us not understand that it is a war against the powers and the principalities. Yeah. And, and we are weak because of it. We don't know how to fight against, against the things because we don't think anything spiritual exists. We think the Greeks were just making these stories up around a campfire instead of documenting the things they saw. We think the same thing about witchcraft is just people messing around in the woods and being lesbians or something instead of like all of these things have power. They're, they're dark powers, but they have power. And I think that would be the actual biblical understanding of these things instead of this modern day, even, even amongst Christians it's like, well, I believe that my God exists, but every other spiritual or demonic thing doesn't, doesn't exist. It's all, you know, hogwash. And think about the rise of witchcraft. That's another thing in Enoch. The angels taught humans witchcraft. Right. And all of a sudden we're seeing incredible amounts of witchcraft. It is, it is insanely trendy right now, like incredibly trendy right now. Yeah. And, and we talked about this. Sorry, I'll get, I want to get over to the rumble section so I can ask you guys this. And I've got one more thing I want to bring up. But we talked about this idea of people like Anne Rice and Twilight and stuff like that, like mm -hmm. further uh, normalizing the idea of having sex with extra uh, of supernatural beings, right? Of having sex with vampires and werewolves and, and all of these things, Nephilim, aliens, whatever you want to call them. I find that interesting that we've just kind of normalized. Katy Perry's normalized the idea of having sex with aliens. If you look at the books that are not only popular, but the most popular in YA in the last 10 years, it's been Twilight, which is vampires and werewolves. It's been the Sarah J. Mass series, which is sex with the fairies. 
um, the uh, Cassandra Clare book series, which is literally Nephilim. Um, her, the stars of her books are angelic beings with angelic DNA. Um, and then now we have like popu- books rising to popularity where it's actual demons that the girls are having sex with and aliens. So it, there's definitely been a progression. You also told me to read the Percy Jackson series and uh, yes. not for sale said Percy Jackson series. So yeah. I will have to look into that. So my last thing I want to say before we go over to rumble is this idea of Iraq r- rising up as a new Babylon and what is going on currently right now as we're doing this, this podcast, what's taking place overseas in that place above where Satan dwells. Oh, in Switzerland, CERN is on again. CERN or, is on again, but Davos right now yep. is having the World Economic world Forum. Economic Forum. Forum. And guess yep. who's going to the World Economic Forum to try to uh, build new relationships and find new ways to enrich his country? The <laughs> Prime Minister of Iraq, Davos 2023, Kurdish Iraqi Prime Minister sees oil revenue deal with Baghdad in months. Uh, we also see another article where he is uh, wants there to be continued uh, U.S. troop presence, U.S. backing their investment in raising up the new Babylon, as it seems. And I didn't have time to go into it, but the, the idea of, of the Bush and Obama families or Bush and Obama presidencies kind of backing up this building up of, of the new Babylon as, as it seems to be happening. Uh, so I'm, I'm keeping an eye on these things. I've also seen reports of the dinar uh, making some shifts in the near future that's going to raise its value. Uh, Cause it's been down for a long time. So yeah, I don't know. That's it, it just, it seems like we're starting to see the signs of Iraq actually gaining in oil and riches and having the ideas uh, going back quite a ways of trying to resurrect Babylon. If you even go back to, to um, Saddam Hussein. So that's kind of my pitch on it. I don't know. I'm going to keep an eye on Iraq for, for, for those reasons. Yeah. But, yeah. So <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, we got more to get to over on Rumble. So uh, if you guys are not following us there, uh, I'm going to drop it in the chat for you guys one more time. Do you have anything you want to say to anybody before we we move over to Rumble? See you there. All right, guys. See you over on Rumble.